SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hour three, it is happy hour on the morning after on SportsGrid. You're listening on SiriusXM channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. This hour, we're going to give you our early leans of the day. We've got a Major League Baseball card to break down. College football, which is going to be happening today. 14 games on the slate tonight. And later this hour, we're going to have our college football analyst, Mark Zinno, joining the show to help us break it all down. First, it's our West Coast Wake Up. Yesterday, we had a late game between the Dodgers and the Braves. The Dodgers end up coming away with the win. It ends up being 4-3, to three, just staying under the total of 7.5. The starter for the Dodgers last night was Max Scherzer. Scherzer, since he came over from the Nationals to the Dodgers in a trade midseason, Scherzer's had six starts. He is 4-0 with a 1.29 ERA, 35 innings pitched, 50 strikeouts, 5-0. Max Scherzer has been unbelievable since being under the bright lights, Ben. This could be the reason the Dodgers not only get to potentially win a World Series because they made this trade in the middle of the season. And this is why the Dodgers did exactly that at the trade deadline. Taking Max Scherzer in, taking in Trey Turner, they have all been very, very helpful to the L.A. Dodgers who have won 20 of their last 24 games, which has led the Dodgers to that top spot in the National League West. The Dodgers sweeping the Braves in a very big series in Los Angeles, and that was huge for the Dodgers making up ground in the NL West. For the first time in what feels like a very long time, the Dodgers have the lead in the division, a half game over the San Francisco Giants, and the Dodgers are minus 250 to win the National League West now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. It also goes to show that whoever ends up being the loser of the National League West top spot is going to have a substantial cushion in the NL wildcard race because now the Giants are the top team in the NL wildcard. They have a 13-game lead over the Reds who occupy that second and final spot. But again, we go back and forth because the Giants and Dodgers this weekend up in San Francisco. Ariel, I don't think we really paid enough attention to how important these two series were early on this week in the National League and what it might show to us For the playoffs, the Dodgers and the Braves, the leaders now of the NL West and the NL East, the Braves with a two-game lead in the NL East right now, the Phillies are starting to surge. You also had the Brewers and the Giants, the leader of the NL Central, the Giants now the top NL wildcard spot. So this could be how we see the postseason play out with four teams that will certainly factor into the race for the National League pennant. And I say that race for the National League pennant. When you look right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook, the Dodgers by far a very short favorite, over $2 worth at plus 135. The Giants and the Brewers tied for the second shortest odds at plus 360. The Braves behind them at plus 550. This is how the National League is shaping up right now. The Dodgers are the heavy favorites, and rightfully so, but this is what we are getting to see, and this is what we saw early this week. The Dodgers and the Braves, the Brewers and the Giants, the Brewers and the Giants one more time at San Francisco today before the Giants turn their attention to their bitter NL West rivals. The main thing is going to also be to look at who's going to be playing who next and who's going to have the toughest NL, uh, NL West opponents coming up in their schedule. To know that the Dodgers and Padres are going to be going head-to-head, I mean, we've been talking about this all year. These two teams have played the toughest series against each other 
all season. It's must-watch television. However, the Padres aren't going to take it easy on the Dodgers. It's going to be a really tough series, which could give the Giants some another edge. Welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience. Third final hour here on the morning after. It's Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mightier 90 on the West Coast. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. The Dodgers get the 4-3 win over the Braves last night, and the total stays under 7.5. However, looking at what the Dodgers will have ahead, and now they do have that half-game lead into first place of the National League West over the Giants. Ben, first off, I'm going to take this to the Giants' perspective, because if the if the San Francisco Giants, after being in first place the mostly the entire year of this division and having the best record in baseball for most of the year, the Giants having to go to a winner-take-all wild-card game, it, likely they'll be hosting it. However, if the Giants lost in a wild-card game, even though the Giants were the most surprised team of the year in baseball this season, it would be the biggest disappointment for, for them to be out in a wild-card round. Yeah, it would be a little bit disappointing, especially because of a lot of the optics of San Francisco this year is that this would be ultimately what happened at a certain point the good luck ride the Giants were on would run its course and the Dodgers would overtake them in the NLS now that has happened it's only a half game difference at the moment but how much does that mess with the momentum for San Francisco who prior to this past series over the weekend against the Atlanta Braves it was the first time the Giants had lost the series in the all of Major League Baseball since the All-Star break, now losing another series, potentially a four-game sweep at the hands of the Milwaukee Brewers, another postseason team in the NL. That could be very detrimental to San Francisco, maybe just from a confidence standpoint. The good thing for the Giants is after the Dodgers series this weekend, they have the Rockies, the Cubs, the Padres, the Braves, the Padres, but then they have the Rockies and the D-backs, two of their final three series. I will mention, though, those two games are their two series against Colorado remaining. All of that coming on the road. They have the Padres 10 more times as well. San Diego is not the team we saw earlier in the year. They are struggling as of right now. So that could be beneficial. And anytime you play the Cubs, a triple-A team at the moment, hopefully able to stack up some wins. It seems the Giants have some more opportunities, and that starts this weekend against the Dodgers. There's going to be opportunities to bet a few games tonight in baseball. Pretty short slate. In fact, the book was really slow in getting these odds up within the last 24 hours. Last night when I was trying to cap the games for today, two games were posted. This morning they're all out, yet still very slow. Not rent, not many strikeout props, but we're going to try our best. It's all coming up next. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on SportsGrid, it is SiriusXM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We're going to the Major League Baseball card. Let's get to the props. It's time for Gate Props. The Gate Prop that I was waiting for isn't posted yet. It's the Colorado Rockies. I'll talk about that game later because I like another play that's not a strikeout prop. The other strikeout prop that caught my eye for tonight's slate Shane McClanahan, the left-handed pitcher for Tampa Bay. The under for six and a half strikeouts is minus 136. He's up against Boston, who the Boston Red Sox have the ninth lowest strikeout rate, not only overall, also against left-handers. 
In fact, Boston in the last 30 days has the third least strikeouts in baseball as in regards to strikeout rate. I like McClanahan that's under. I mean, he's averaging against teams that have a bottom 10K rate against lefties. He's averaging just over five strikeouts per game. That's probably the only bet that I really like on this board. There's some other leans that I have. However, for now, Shane McClanahan under 136 for a total of six and a half strikeouts against the Boston Red Sox tonight, Ben. What do you like? The Red Sox only 18.3% strikeout rate against left-handers in the last two weeks. So yes, looking to the under for Shane McClanahan makes a ton of sense. Again, it's a small Major League Baseball board, but one K prop that I always go back to if I see this pitcher up there is Frankie Montas. And Frankie Montas is in a day game today against the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers have the second highest K rate against right-handers all year long at 25.9%. Since the All-Star break, it has come down. It's still a top 10 K rate, but it's just 24.2%. Come down slightly again in the last two weeks, 24%. I don't like when strikeout rates come down in recent times because it makes it seem like, all right, we're not striking out as much as we might have been. I like, in fact, to take advantage of maybe some recency bias at times. And if there's a team that was not striking out a ton, that now might be a top 5K rate against whatever handed pitcher, then you might have the ability to jump in on a lower number in the strikeout prop market because the number on Frankie Montas against the Tigers is not low by any means. It's 7.5, the over, with tons of plus money at plus 146. The under has the juice at minus 190. Now, Frankie Montas has gone over this number of seven and a half strikeouts in four of his last eight starts, an even split. But over that eight start span, Frankie Montas is averaging nine strikeouts, or excuse me, yeah, nine strikeouts in that eight game span. So 72 strikeouts over a course of eight games, averaging nine per start. He has never had less than six strikeouts. So it's not Frankie Montas is going to go well under this number if he stays under. And I think against the Tigers, I would be enticed by that plus money on Frankie Montas, maybe leaning in over of seven and a half for his K-Prop. The other market I would look at if you do like Montas, maybe you can get better value. It's not up yet. I hope that FanDuel does put it up. When you are able to take that six or more, seven or more strikeouts, maybe you buy the hook or even try to buy a strikeout and go to six or more strikeouts, seven or more strikeouts, and then parlay it with an Oakland Athletics win over one of the worst teams in baseball in the Tigers. The only other strikeout prop that I like today, again, aside for Tukey Tucson's under, which isn't posted yet, I do like the over on Logan Webb for San Francisco, the right-handed pitcher up against the Milwaukee Brewers. At first, I was skeptical. The Brewers' K rate has dropped a lot in the last month. In fact, from going for being one of the top five highest K rates in baseball, they are now the second lowest strikeout rate in baseball in the last 30 days. I decided, you know what, this seems a little weird. Let me go look back. They faced really bad teams. I mean, there were a lot of, there was a big stretch of time where Milwaukee was not playing any kind of team with a solid rotation. Going up against Logan Webb with a five and a half, it just seems like too low of a number. The over is minus 110. Webb is averaging just under eight strikeouts per game against teams with a top 10 K rate against righties. Milwaukee, or excuse me, a top 15 K rate against righties. And Milwaukee's ranked 12th against right-handed pitchers, striking out 24% of the time. It's just a good number. I like to take advantage of good numbers. I'm going to say Logan Webb over five and a half strikeouts. Mid-major Matt, I texted him about it today. 
Friday, and he said that he agrees. He likes the over two, so it gave me a little bit more peace of mind. Then one more game that I have today, and I mentioned it before, the Colorado Rockies. Hearing from people that it is a sharp play tonight to bet the Rockies, the Rockies have the best run line record when home dogs. It is insane. They are hitting at 71% this year on the run line when booked as a home dog, 25 and 10. It is only minus 118 to take the plus one and a half. In fact, that line was minus 110, and the juice keeps getting juiced up on the run line, now minus 118. Colorado hosting Atlanta. The Braves are coming off a really tough series. They just faced the Los Angeles Dodgers for four games. Now going to Colorado, a place where the Rockies, by the way, the reason I like the strikeout prop for the under on Tuki Tucson, listen to this. The Rockies have the fifth highest, the fifth highest K rate on the road. At home, the Rockies have the third lowest K rate in baseball. In fact, the Rockies at home have struck out the least of anybody in Major League Baseball. With the Atlanta Braves coming on that hangover from the Dodgers, in addition to the Rockies' amazing run line record, I'm going to take the Rockies on the run line tonight, Ben. And the Braves, before the Dodgers, were up in San Francisco taking on the Giants. They did win that series, but it has been a grueling stretch out west for the Atlanta Braves, who now only hold a two-game lead in the National League East. The division, it seemed like they were running away with, but Philly has won five straight. The Braves have been playing very tough competition, swept by the Dodgers in L.A., making this game even that much more enticing. You talk about the Rockies' advantages at Coors Field. There is a common thought, and rightfully so, that playing at altitude at Coors Field means runs, runs, runs. Look at the total for tonight's game between the Rockies and the Braves. It's at 12.5. Now that, I think, is a common misconception because the Rockies, at home, actually are tied for the 7th highest under percentage in Major League Baseball at 55.6%. The Braves, on the road, are tied for the highest under percentage as well at 59.1%. So two teams in these two spots, the Rockies at home, the Braves on the road, that play a good majority of their games to the under. Now, here's the thing about the Rockies. It's not so much that there's not scoring that happens at Coors Field. It's just that the totals already baked that in, and you see things like 12 and a half, 13s, 13s and a half. Earlier this week, there was a game between the Rockies and whoever their opponent was, and I checked. I didn't even really talk about the game. It was at 14 and a half. These totals are inflated at Coors Field because of the idea at altitude, the balls are booming and you are going to score runs against the Rockies at all costs. But the Rockies are good at home. They know how to play at Coors Field. I think at times you get inflated numbers. I'm looking at that 12 and a half for the Rockies that play 55.6% of their games at Coors to the under and the Braves over 59% of their games on the road to the under as well. I think you might be able to find a small edge there in this market to take an under of the game total overall between the Braves and the Rockies tonight at 12 and a half. Speaking of unders, and yes, by the way, Colorado Rockies overs in Coors Field are so overrated. Another under, the, the New York Mets, they're up against the Miami Marlins, the total seven and a half. The Mets have the most home unders in baseball, hitting at 67, 68%. You've got Cookie Carrasco on the mound up against Zach Thompson of the Marlins. When I looked at a lot of these runs allowed, I was targeting first five innings maybe. Carrasco's hard to get a handicap on because even though his first game he only allowed two runs, he didn't pitch that deep into the game. Then he allowed seven and six. However, his last outing, Carrasco had two runs allowed in the first five innings. Thompson, on the other hand, hasn't allowed more than – he's averaging about two runs per first five innings allowed when he's pitching on the road. 
Ben, how much do we like an under or maybe even a first five under in this game? Yeah, Cookie Carrasco has not been great in a Mets uniform since he returned from injury. So I'm a little bit scared, although the trend is very, very strong for unders at City Field. When something is hitting close to 65, 70% of the time throughout a majority of a season, that is a very, very strong trend. So although I think it is in the cards, Miami over 50% of their games on the road also hitting to the under. I think I'm a little bit wary because of Cookie Carrasco tonight. Yeah, me too. And then every time that under hits in City Field, I just kick myself that I didn't take it yet again. Coming up next, we're going to talk college football. We've got 14 games on the slate tonight. We'll give you all of our early leans of the day coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're back on the morning after on SportsGrid, Sirius XM, Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Make sure to check us out all over social media, especially on Twitter. Make sure to go to SportsGrid and SportsGrid TV. We have two different Twitter handles. You can check out all that you need, whether it's videos that you may have missed from the show. In addition to some of our best bets of the day and great trends and analysis, go to SportsGrid and SportsGrid TV on Twitter. And honestly, Instagram too, SportsGrid TV. Rebecca Harrelson. Job well done. One of our best. She is the best at social media. Now let's go into college football because I know that my co-host has been dying for this segment to come. And we're going to talk about the games coming up tonight. We've got 14 games on the college football slate. Ben Stevens, what is your favorite game, your favorite bet for college football tonight? Grab the hat. Put it on with me. We go to the Big Ten Conference. Number four, Ohio State. They played in the national championship last year against Minnesota, TCF Bank Stadium, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Ohio State, a 13 and a half point favorite against the Golden Gophers, who are plus 470 on the money line, if that's your kind of thing. The total, 62 and a half. Let's start with the line movement, or really the lack thereof, although I anticipated there would be some line movement on the Buckeyes heading into this week one matchup. I thought by the time we got to early week number one, the line would move up in favor of Ohio State. Early this week, it got to 14 and a half, now back down to 13 and a half where it opened. The total has dropped by two and a half points to 62 and a half where it stands right now. Ohio State is breaking in a new quarterback. C.J. Stroud, who has never thrown a pass during his time with Ohio State, is a new quarterback for Ryan Day in Columbus. If that is an unknown and an uncertainty and scares you a little bit, I understand. But here's what C.J. Stroud has at his disposal. A rushing offense last year for Ohio State that ran for 257 yards per game and Master Teague, a big issue or a big component of that rushing offense, is back. Here's our shout out to Kevin Walsh, who pointed this out to me. One of the player props available tonight, Master Teague's rushing yards prop at 101 and a half. Maybe you want to go over knowing how prolific Ohio State was on the ground last year and the fact they returned their entire offensive line that is one of the best offensive lines in the country, along with a lot of their wide receiving core that I will say, Ariel, is the best receiving core, not just in the Big Ten, in all of college football. So C.J. Stroud should be very comfortable, and Ryan Day has been very impressed with how C.J. Stroud took over the quarterback competition and that role in the final three weeks of fall camp 
leading into week one preparation. Minnesota, on the other side, also a really good rushing attack. Mohamed Ibrahim, like we mentioned, the Big Ten running back of the year last year, the fourth best rushing offense in the Big Ten at 192 yards last season. Also, one thing to know about Minnesota, they have been top five in terms of time of possession in the last two seasons, both of the last two seasons, ranking in the top five in terms of time of possession. So if Minnesota is able to control the pace of play tonight, maybe they can cover that nearly two touchdown spread. But I look to the other side of it. Ohio State, the number four team in the country, is inside two touchdowns. I think you are getting a great number on the Buckeyes. I like Ohio State to cover 13 and a half tonight. It is a pick really against the market because a lot of people think Minnesota can easily cover that number tonight and give Ohio State a very tough test. I say, "Uh uh-uh, not so fast. The Buckeyes win by two touchdowns or more. I'm also going to ask you the same question that I asked Joe Lisi in the first hour of the show. We were talking about the run game earlier. Minnesota's run game with Ibrahim is supposed to be one of the best. The problem is Ohio State has a top five defensive front. They allowed 98 rushing Mm. yards per game last year, an average of just over three rushing yards per carry. How much could you see Minnesota being affected because one of their favorite elements of their offense is their run game? And they need to establish that run because although Tanner Morgan was very good under center in 2019 for the Golden Gophers, a Minnesota team that won 11 games, let's not forget, he had Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson on the outside. He has Chris Ottman-Bell now, who is very good, but has had some health issues heading into this week one opener against the Buckeyes. Like you mentioned, Ariel, Ohio State limited teams to just 97 rushing yards per game last year, the fifth best rushing defense in the country. The secondary is where Ohio State might have some concerns heading into this year, but the front seven, although they need to replace some things in the linebacking core, I don't really have any concerns or any worries about that front seven, especially along the defensive front under Kerry Combs. You have guys like Zach Harrison, like Haskell Garrett, like Tyreek Smith, all back for this team. I think Ohio State will be very good up front tonight against Minnesota. So I think Ohio State can cover. In fact, I look to the other side and Minnesota's defense that was porous last year, the ninth best scoring defense. So nine out of 15 team or 14 teams in the Big Ten. Minnesota allowed over 30 points per game last year. The third worst rushing offense allowing rushing defense, rather, excuse me, allowing opponents to run for over 207 rushing yards per game last year. Ohio State ran the rock for 257 yards last year. I think Ohio State has the advantage when it comes to the ground game, not Minnesota. A game I'm looking towards, East Carolina University, taking the points with them against Appalachian State. I can't believe I'm doing this. I covered this team, Ben, for three years. It was a horrible three years. Scotty Montgomery, the head coach of ECU at the time, you, you couldn't pick up a win after his second game of his career in East Carolina. He ended up with a win over NC State, and it all just went downhill after that. That was two years of agony. Then you bring in Mike Houston, the new head coach. He's done a great job with the program. Unfortunately, East Carolina last year was dealing with some new coordinators, and because they had new coordinators, they weren't allowed they weren't able to practice and instill new systems as easily because of all the COVID protocols. This is the second year now where they're going to have their new defensive coordinator from last year. He finally is able to get his defense who has 10 returning starters to its lineup. He's going to be able to mold this defense the way he wanted to in the preseason, things he couldn't do last year. East Carolina also finally has a better offensive line. They actually returned their entire offensive line from last season. Their quarterback, Holton Aylers, is the hometown kid. He is from Greenville, North Carolina. 
Holton Ehlers needed a better offensive line. That's been his issue his entire college career is the offensive line has allowed for him to get pressure on him every single game. Also, the running back room, much more improved. He's got running backs, Holton Ehlers, that he can rely on. That's why East Carolina against Appalachian State, an in-state rival, I could see East Carolina covering this spread. In fact, a lot of my friends who cover the team say this is probably the hardest that they have practiced in the preseason that they've seen in years. And they really like East mm-hmm. Carolina to come out strong today and get this win, even cover, but win even over Appalachian State, Ben. Ooh, maybe a sprinkle on the money line. Another one of the marquee matchups we have tonight. Possibly the most intriguing matchup on this Thursday night of week one of college football. Boise State in Central Florida. We have seen some line movement for this game here this morning. It went from five and a half in favor of UCF to now six and a half in favor of the Knights. The total is 67 and a half. We have what we expect to be when you see a total at 67 and a half an offensive shootout. Two of the top five, two of the top 25, excuse me, scoring offenses from last year. UCF ranked seventh at 42.2 points per game. Boise State 25th at nearly 34 points per game. Boise State has the better defense. They only allowed 27 points per game to their opponents last year. UCF 33 opponents points per game. So all of that makeup, you expect good offenses against not so great defenses. Maybe looking to the total. I don't have a hard edge here. But Mylene, based on what we have seen so far in the week zero action of college football among FBS teams and what we saw last night between UAB and Jacksonville State, I think that total of 67 and a half might just be a little bit too lofty for week one as these teams try to find their footing in this first game of the regular season. A new system in place for both of these teams. Brian Harson, the former head coach at Boise State, now the head coach at Auburn. UCF's head coach, Josh Heupel, is now the head coach at Tennessee. Gus Malzahn, the former head coach at Auburn, now the head coach at Central Florida. Gus Malzahn certainly has a great and creative offensive system. We know what he did with Cam Newton during his time at Auburn. That being said, I don't know if they can score all that many points tonight. So my two edges for this game, slightly leaning the under 67 and a half, And then looking at Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback for UCF's passing yards prop, it's at 312 and a half. He went over that number in seven of 10 games for UCF last year, but under in three of the final four. Again, a new system in Gus Malzahn where they are going to move the football, but it might be a little bit more RPO style as opposed to just spread in space in the passing attack we saw the last couple of years in Central Florida for Josh Heupel and the Knights. I still look at that 312 and a half and would lean the over for Dylan Gabriel. I also lean the under of 67 and a half between UCF and Boise State. I'm leaning towards taking the points with Boise State plus five and a half. Ooh. I'm willing to do it. You look at last year, Boise State was dealing with COVID all season. They had 20 to 30 players who were dealing with COVID every week of last year. That's not a way to help uh, your handicap this season. I'm not looking towards last year as much because last year was a complete mess for this team. Boise was 4-1 and one straight up, 5-0 and oh against the spread in their last five road openers. Boise's done well when they've opened up the season. Boise also has two highly touted quarterbacks, and you might have mentioned Hank, uh, Hank Bachmeyer getting the start. He's, the, he's named the starter for Boise State. Started for eight games, threw for over 1,000 yards, 60. 63% completion percentage back in 2019. Uh, I could see this Boise State team covering the spread against UCF, and I love everything you mentioned. Central Florida isn't the same team that we watched 
win their quote unquote national title a few years ago. There's been a lot of different mm. changes. I'm willing to take the points with Boise. I'm willing to take the points with East Carolina. When it comes to Ohio State, Minnesota, I am just excited to watch that game. I lean I, I don't I don't I'm not even gonna tell you where I lean in that game because it's not on your side and I'm not even betting it so it's not even worth it. I didn't even play it in the pool. I have a pool and I'm playing it and uh yeah, that's not part of the pool. So anyway, we've got a lot more to break down here and we've got a lot of college football to cover and Mark Zinno, our college football analyst and handicapper, going to join us next here on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on SportsGrid, it is SiriusXM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us now to talk college football, we've got Mark Zeno from here on SportsGrid breaking down the college football slate. Mark, how excited are you to be able to watch actual week one games between really like tough, tough programs? Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. College football is here. I am super excited. We get it kicked off tonight all the way through Monday when – the real money is on the line for me as I continue to back Lane Kiffin and Old Miss. Uh, they are my over bet for the year, seven and a half wins. It is my bet of the week, the over 75 in the Monday game, Old Miss Louisville. Let's go, Lane Kiffin. I am I am excited. I am on your and that side. Spread there. Also. I love it. Yeah. I was spread. gonna say, Ariel, the spread also working in favor of the Old Miss. Ten and a half now for the running rebels. Yeah. But Mark, before we get to Monday. Many a game tonight, including one in my neck of the woods, the Big Ten, Ohio State and Minnesota. How are you approaching this game tonight between the Buckeyes and the Golden Gophers? Uh, well, look, I, in all deference to you as the Big Ten guy, uh, I will I will sit here with this game tonight. And look, you have to shop around. This number's been moving. I was on the under earlier in the week, and it's just been dropping, dropping, dropping as sharp money is coming in. I think it's down to six to two and a half now. I would continue to shop around to see what you can get. There might be some buyback to the over to see if the, the line can move. But I think that's really the play here. There's a bunch of factors in here. Obviously, C.J. Stroud, the new quarterback at Ohio State. What is the offense going to look like? We're not really 100% sure yet. Look, we know Ohio State is just more talented and better, so you give them some deference there. But the thing with Minnesota is Tanner Morgan, how much are they going to throw? They're not exactly a high-powered throwing offense. They were one of the better rushing teams in the Big Ten last year, but also Ohio State was one of the best rushing defenses. Now, the back end of Ohio State is where they stunk. Their pass defense was dead last in the Big Ten last year. How much did they do to improve that? Will P.J. Fleck trust Tanner Morgan to throw the ball against this Ohio State team and see if he can get some stuff done that way? I think he'll rely more on the run because that's what he's good at. Now, if Ohio State, much similar to what we saw last week in, in my mismatch of UCLA and Hawaii, where I thought Hawaii was going to hang in that game, but UCLA got an early lead, and then they pulled off the pedal. Ohio State's in the same scenario with Oregon coming up next week. How much do they want to show Oregon on tape this week? So there could be a scenario uh, where they let their foot off the gas, which is why, again, I think it's correlating bets here, Ben. If you are on Minnesota, you're on the under. But if you're on Ohio State, I think you would lean over in this spot. And so I am favoring the under here pretty heavily. Uh, I do like – Minnesota, especially if I get 14 and a half in this spot. But I, I, I think the play, again, uh, for, for the average better out there should be the under. But I'd shop around and make sure you get the best line you can. 
Mark, another game that you're looking at is coming up on Saturday. It's Indiana and Iowa. This line has moved against Iowa. It opened around minus six. Now it's at minus three and a half. How would you see this game playing out? I mean, Indiana's the live dog of the weekend, I think, at this point in time, right? I mean, it, Tom Allen has built a culture there in Indiana. Uh, this is a very talented team looking to build on what they did last year. And I know it's tough to bet against Kirk Ferentz in Iowa, right? I mean, he's got such a track record there, and he's really, really good. But that said, Indiana, the team trends all favor them. Um, they are a team that really, you know, uh, has surprised a lot of people, but they're 8-2 and two as a, in their last 10 as a dog under uh, under Tom Allen. So I think that this is a good spot for Indiana. Uh, they are a team that can score. Uh, one of the lowest totals uh, of the weekend is in this game, but I think Indiana comes out and can get to the mid-20s, and I just don't know that Iowa can do that from that standpoint. And so I'm leaning on Indiana in the spot, both on the money line and with the points. If you wanted Indiana on that money line, plus 148. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I am the founder and president of the Michael Penix Jr. for Heisman fan club. That Heisman run, a dark horse Heisman run, starts Saturday in a top 20 tilt against Big Ten competition against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Mark, I cannot argue with you. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. He has to stay healthy. Coming back from a torn ACL he suffered against Maryland last year. So, Mark, 14 games. In a 90-minute window, starting tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, any of the other games tonight that you are going to dive into to try to find some edges throughout this afternoon? Not tonight. I mean, I have my eyes on a bunch of things over the course of the weekend, including Georgia Clemson, guys. Uh, I look at this game, and I, I can't get a feeling on the side. To be honest with you, more just because Georgia's injuries have me questioning their ability to keep this game close uh, if they're 100%, I think they could win the thing outright. But Kirby Smart does such a good job of keeping that injury information close to the vest. So I'm not sure who's going to play, whether it's Eric Gilbert. They also have injuries in the secondary. So uh, if you're feeling Georgia strongly, make sure you get the three and a half and don't do it at three. But, guys, I do like the under in this game. And here's the one thing I'm relying on. I know JT Daniels is a, a, Heisman, candidate, a Heisman favorite at this point in time. Uh, and they expect him to be able to throw the ball, that Georgia's offense finally will ascend into 2021-type football. But it's not going to happen this week against Clemson because Kirby Smart in these big matchups always defaults back to old Kirby Smart, and that's run the football, control the clock, and play defense. And from that standpoint, I don't see him lining up in a four-wide receiver set um, in the opener against Clemson and letting JT Daniels throw the ball. The only way I see this game uh, from a game script standpoint of the over coming in is that if Clemson gets up to a you know a 14-point, 20-point lead early somehow, and they're forced to throw, and you'll start to see a lot of garbage touchdowns, maybe some pick sixes, turnovers, things that would you know aid the over coming in. But I think this will be a slower, muck-it-up style game for Kirby Smart. He'll rely on running the football. And I think the under, as long as you're at 51 and a half, I feel confident, you know, you're at that key number as much as it doesn't matter as much in college, but you get me under 51 and a half, and I feel pretty good about the under in that spot. Mark Zeno from here on Sports Grid joining us breaking down college football. You love the SEC. I'm going to throw this question at you. If you could only choose one SEC team this week to cover the spread, who is it? Oh, God. You know, I, I have stared at Missouri, and it's funny. I've stared at Missouri for three days now, looking at the number for that team and going, why are they not going to cover this game? Why, are they, why is Central Michigan going to hang in this game? And I have yet to pull the trigger on it. 
but it's just, and I hate just saying a gut feeling because it's just not enough. I think, you know, listen, gut feelings lead to bad decisions in life. So just stay away from it, folks. But <laughs> from that standpoint, I keep looking at this number and I keep telling myself there's no reason that Missouri and this offense shouldn't cover. This, look, Eli Drinkwitz is going to have this offense humming like it did with Drew Locke. They're going to score a ton of points. It's a question of a team like Central Michigan that really can surprise you. You know, the Chippewas have been great against the number recently in, in under this current regime and it's a hard spot for me to bet against them in, especially since it is a big number at 14. But, I, you know, again, I, I look at that number, and that's still the one that I'm hanging my hat on at this point, is I'm probably going to end up pulling the trigger uh, before kickoff on. Uh, I may hate myself after it, but I, I would rely on Missouri. If people keep asking me about Alabama against Miami. It's just too – De'Ara King is too much of a question mark, guys. I mean, really, he could change the game on a dime. We've seen these mobile quarterbacks do it. We've seen them take over and make plays happen when everything breaks down. And all of a sudden, what's a third and 13, it looks like a very punnable situation for a very good Alabama defense. Could easily turn into a first down. It's just too many question marks uh, and too many variables with De'Ara King. So that's why I wouldn't go with Alabama. Of course, I'm going to stay on my Ole Miss over. I'm not getting off that. But the other SEC game I got my eye on is Missouri. Nick Saban in his time in Tuscaloosa, 14-0 straight up in his 14 season openers, 12-2 against the spread, an average victory margin of 28.7 points per game. So when you're looking at 19.5 in favor of Alabama against Miami, just some things to keep in mind. And Mark, I think that goes to speak about a ton of the games we see week one of college football. Huge spreads, lofty totals. Where do you target first, side or total when it comes to week one slate? Generally, I'll go to the side first, um, and I, it, that's just about matchups, guys. I mean, in reality, the disparity of talent from really good teams to really bad teams is so much greater why those numbers are what they are. But then I look at game script and coaching, and, and again, why I've been so high on Ole Miss. Louisville is not a team that plays defense, and neither does Ole Miss for that matter. And so from that standpoint, I have a lot of faith that, that Ole Miss will be able to score 40 or 50 in this game, but I know their defense is going to give up 25 to 30. And so I'm right in the range where I believe I should be from that standpoint when I talk about a, a total. But still, I, I think when you look at side, it's just about matchups. Who's got the better team? That's why this, this North Carolina-Virginia Tech matchup is so hard to handicap. I heard you guys talking about it earlier. North Carolina's lost so much. I have a ton of faith in Sam Howell, but where are all those yards? Where are all those touchdowns going to come from? In that game with North Carolina missing those folks, has the has the talent level been closed with a team like Virginia Tech? So when I look at the side, I'll look at the talent first. I mean, from a total standpoint, again, more about coaching. Also, the thing with college that separates it from the NFL is the returning players. In the NFL, you don't see as much turnover as you do in college. How much do you take into consideration, especially early into the season, experience versus non-experience? It matters. I mean, there's so much turnover in college, and especially at the position of quarterback. I mean, look at the SEC right now. Who's really been stable at quarterback? Nobody. All the big teams have all rolled over a quarterback, maybe with the exception of JT Daniels at Georgia. But again, he only played four games last year. So is that a fair enough sample set to see if that matters? But it, it, of course it matters. You know, Alabama's returning 10 of 11 starters on defense. We forget that we've watched Alabama score so much, we forget how good their defense really is. And this year, they're a team that are going to they're, they're, they're going to choke other offenses. That's how they're going to win, even if they can't score. You know, even if, it, if, if it's not a high-powered offense with Bill O'Brien calling the shots and a new quarterback, 
I still trust their defense enough to choke the heck out of every opponent that they play because they have so many starters back and they have Dylan Moses. They have guys who, who have known the system and played in it well. So that is a huge portion of it, especially early on in the season. You know, again, I referenced back to North Carolina with all the new starters in there, everybody that they lost. I need to see some empirical data from that offense to know that it can score that the way it did. I, I trust Mac Brown. I trust the coaching staff. I trust the quarterback. But with all the outside weapons that are gone, I just need to see a couple of iterations of it to know that it's going to be the same product that I saw last year. Mark, only a couple of minutes left here. I don't want to move too quickly past week number one, but how much of what you will learn over the next three to five days will you take then into your week two handicapping? Is it still an overall thought of the season or is it, hey, we have a week one sample size. We can learn a lot from that. Well, I'll keep a close eye on UCLA-LSU this week after what we saw last week, right? Hey, I was wrong on the Hawaii thought. I thought they were going to keep it a lot closer. They got credit to Chip Kelly. They got their doors blown off. Now they're going to go play LSU. When when I look at stuff like this, I do have to look at high-level programs, how they play from week one to week two, and the coach that's there because ultimately the coach is the one who really controls the lever and pushes all the buttons on the level of consistency from week to week for the most part. So I'll watch that game very closely. Um, you know, I didn't pick a side on either one as much as I think LSU clearly the more talented team. And I think they're going to come back with a vengeance offensively. Um, but Chip Kelly impressed the hell out of me last week. And it gives you a little pause and it gives you a little hesitation uh, to bet against them because they played so well. Don't let short memories decide how you bet. Look at the numbers. Look at look at the trends. Look at um, the, the things that got you to bet them in week one should be the things that get you to bet them in week two. Uh, and if you were wrong in week one, like I was against UCLA, study them a little bit harder and a little bit longer. But I think, again, when you look at some of these teams, and, and for somebody who's pumped Old Miss so much, if it goes awry this week, this week for me with Old Miss and they don't end up scoring a ton of points, I'm going to have to study really hard why they didn't and see if there can be any relatability going into week two. Yeah, I'm with you there. That's why I'm treading with uh, a lot of trepidation and just being cautious going into week one of this college football slate. But that's just me. I'm way more an NFL girl. However, college football is here. It is week one. I am so excited. I will be sitting there on my couch all night long and watching college football with you guys. Thanks so much, Mark, for joining us today. Good luck to your bets this weekend, and we'll see you again next week. All right, Ben, you guys are the best. Thanks. Mark Zeno, catch him on in-game live as well every weekend here on The Grid. But coming up next, Ben and I are going to close out the show. We're going to give out our best bets of the day until bet do us part. You're listening here on Sirius XM, Channel 204, the Sports Grid Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out the show here on the morning after on SportsGrid. It is SiriusXM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Time for our best bets of the day. Let's get to to bet to us part. It may very well be the real start of the college football season with week one tonight. However, I'm going to baseball. I'm a baseball girl. I really like this play. I'm going with the Colorado Rockies on the run line at plus one and a half. Already seen it get juiced up minus 110 to minus 118. The Rockies get the Braves tonight. In Coors Field, the Braves are coming off a really tough four-game stretch against the Los Angeles Dodgers in L.A. Now the Rockies, who have been hitting on the run line as a home dog 
at just over 71% this season. It is one of the more profitable ways to bet the Rockies, who are just abysmal on the road, but actually really good at home. Give me the Rockies on the run line tonight. Ben, I know you're going college football. The floor is yours. Ariel, in my history of hosting the morning after, I have had one TB'd up best bet on the Big Ten Conference. Tonight, we make it two. We are looking to week one of college football. I never thought I would be contrarian in backing the number four team in the country, the Ohio State Buckeyes, in their opening game of the year. Yet, as a 13.5-point road favorite against Minnesota, somehow taking the Buckeyes, laying the points, is slightly contrarian against the market. Here's the reason why. The number is too good. Ohio State is inside two touchdowns. You're getting them at 13 and a half. Ohio State can beat Minnesota by two touchdowns easily. I could highlight the ground game and how Ohio State ran for 257 yards per game last year, and Minnesota was abysmal defensively, allowing 207 rushing yards per game to their opponent. But I just love the number so much. Ohio State, minus 13 and a half. College football is back. College football is back, and here's the thing. No pressure, Ben, but uh, you do have to worry about this bet because your like reputation is totally staked on this one. Yeah, I said it. It's week yeah. one. We're already. Big cards on ben, the table. Baby. Put the cap on. Put the cap on. Thanks for joining us here on The Morning After with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. See you tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time on The Grid.